0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. Well, hello there and welcome back. I am Stephanie Safarian and you are listening to episode 132 of the Sustainable Minimalists Podcast. On today's show, we are discussing five advanced slow living strategies for listeners who have begun the journey of living with intentionality, but know there is still more work to be done. Now, first off, what on earth is slow living? What is simple living, intentional living? I'm using all these phrases interchangeably today to define the idea that it is possible to no longer accept busy and harried as normal. Slow living is less about the mindless hustle. It's more about making the conscious decision to not get wrapped up in the minutiae of daily life. Slow or simple living is also about removing excess. Excess conflict, excess to-do items, excess anything so that we can better experience all those wonderful moments that life has to offer. Now, if you Google how to live slow or simple living or some facsimile thereof, you will likely see the same strategies touted over and over again, right? You've seen turn off your phone. You've seen go for walks. You've seen read a book. You've seen them. You've read them. You've likely already implemented all of these beginner steps, and they're good steps. Those are good Pieces of advice. But today, we are not discussing these over-touted, slow-living tips. Instead, I am giving you five strategies that take it to the next step, five advanced strategies that I hope will take your existing efforts to the next level. Now, before we get into it today, I have two quick corrections from last week's episode, episode 131, all about carbon footprints. The first one is that I had said on the episode that the average American's carbon footprint is four times that of someone living in a developing country, and I was off. (laughs) I grossly underestimated that figure. If we are to compare an American's lifestyle with the lifestyle of a person in a developing country, the American's carbon footprint is 16 to 160 times bigger than a person's living in a developing country. And that is because the average carbon footprint of a person in a developing country can be as little as 0.1 metric ton. The second minor correction I have for you today is that I had mentioned that livestock farming is a major source of carbon emissions because livestock farts. And that's true. Cattle do fart. However, The major cause of methane from livestock farming comes from their burps, not their farts. So thank you to the listener who wrote to me with those two corrections. And thank you to everybody who reaches out to me with corrections ever. I appreciate that you do it in such a kind and informative and respectful way. So now back to living slow. Why even live slow? Why even try to slow down? Why? Why? We only have 18 years with our children, right? That's 18 summers. That's 18 birthdays. You have likely heard parents say over and over again, where does the time go? It seems like my child was just born yesterday. We've all heard it. We've likely even said it. I know I have said it. These statements convey a sense of lost time and missed Opportunity, right? And similarly, you and I, we only have seven, maybe eight, maybe if we are super lucky, nine decades on this earth, just seven or eight, or maybe nine. How do we want to spend our precious time? We each have the unique opportunity to take the reins, take that steering wheel, and be the CEO of our lives. Yet, even though we have that unique opportunity, few of us realize it, right? Ashley in. she was a previous guest on this show, and she made real clear the fact that entrepreneurs, they spend an awful lot of time crafting vision statements and core values for their businesses. But you and I, we tend to get so caught up in the daily grind that we can't visualize the big picture. And then as we age, we lament over all the time that was lost. Instead of passively watching the years fly by, I believe that it is absolutely possible to be intentional about how you want to live it and how, in fact, you do live it. Now, the first advanced simple living strategy I have for you today that I hope will help you do just that is an interpersonal strategy. And it is to not attend every fight you are invited to. Now, what on earth, Stephanie, don't attend every fight you are invited to? What does that mean? It means turn the other cheek, sort of. It also means pick your battles. So don't attend every fight you're invited to is like a nice little combination of turn the other cheek and pick your battles. Let me explain. We are invited, you and I are invited to dozens of fights every single day, but engaging in them is going to leave you battered, beaten, and oh so very tired. Drama sucks away that positive life force, that life energy that we all have. I'm going to be talking a little bit about energy today interpersonal conflicts generate significant inner anxiety as well. Most of us tend to struggle throughout the duration of our lives, myself included, with caring too much in situations that do not deserve our energy. How many times have we given away our energy to the rude cashier at the supermarket who rolled her eyes at us? Or, how many times have we given our energy away to a coworker who's not pulling his or her weight on a big project? We give our energy away when we get annoyed with a friend for some minor infraction. We give our energy away when we get sucked up in an extended family conflict that really has nothing to do with us. If you are invited to a fight, can you simply not attend? <laughs> A side note here is that my husband and I, we just watched Hamilton last week, so I have to say what I'm saying with a Hamilton reference. If you have been challenged to a duel, can you simply decline that invitation? Making the intentional choice to decline is a sign of strength. We all have a finite amount of energy that we can give away to interpersonal Issues, interpersonal conflicts. You know, in your soul, though, when certain duels are worth fighting, there are going to be times when someone disrespects you or someone just generally does you dirty, right? And in these instances where you know the fight is actually worth expending that precious energy, the good news is that if you stop giving your energy to all the little fights that don't really matter, you will have more energy to expend on the times when you've been done dirty because you haven't wasted it on those inconsequential situations. You have saved it for the times when you truly need it. So that's my first strategy for you today is do not attend every fight you are invited to. Advanced strategy number two that I have for you today has to do with work. And it is to work smarter, not harder. We've all heard this platitude before, right? Work smarter, not harder. We've all heard it. And there is some real value to it because many of us get so caught up in the rhythm of day to day life that we forget to stop every once in a while and ask ourselves whether we are expending our energy in the right ways. Taking this a step further, many of us have internalized the belief that being good being good parents, being good employees, being good friends, means giving our everything at all times. And the result then is that working less or doing less can be seen as a sign of weakness or failure or even laziness. Now, again, work smarter, not harder is a common saying. We've all heard it, but how do you do it? How? <laughs> we need to break it down a little further. And so for me and my household, in my personal life as a mother, in my professional life as this podcast host, it looks like this. I break my day into two must-do tasks that have to get done, two tasks that I would like to get done, and then two tasks that it would be nice if I got them done. So two, two, and two. In my personal life as a parent, having my 6-year-old practice reading by reading a book with me every day is a must-do task. It's prioritized, and because it's prioritized, we tend to get it done earlier in the day. Other parenting tasks that are certainly important, like playing dress-up with my 3-year-old or coloring with my 3-year-old, are tasks I would like to get done. And then household tasks like folding the laundry that's piling up or organizing the bookshelves or whatever those household tasks may be, those tend to fall into that third category, which is things I would like to see get done. Now, if after three or four days, the laundry has piled up to some terrible height or after a few days, I've realized I haven't really given my three-year-old much special time, those then move up in my priorities to fill the first slot, right? I apply the same principles in my capacity as the host of this podcast because between creating content and recording and responding to your messages and promoting episodes and once all that gets done working on my book, the to-do list items are endless. I could spend all day working If I wanted to, and I'm sure that you likely feel the same in your own personal and professional lives. The work is really never done. But instead of spending all day working, trim the fat on your daily to-do list by prioritizing it like we just talked about. And then at the end of the day, so once the sun sets, once the day is over, I suggest you measure your day's results. Measure your output. Not by the time it took to achieve your results, but by the actual results. What did you get done? What did you do? The bottom line when it comes to working smarter, not harder, is that it is about prioritizing the must-do tasks and relaxing your standards on all the others. If they get done, great. If not, move them up to the must-do category tomorrow. Now, one other quick suggestion I have for you when it comes to working smarter is to avoid multitasking whenever possible. We all think we are the most amazing multitaskers, am I right? (laughs) But research says otherwise. Juggling multiple tasks at once reduces productivity by as much as 40%. Think about that for a minute. If the goal is to work smarter, We really need to do one thing at a time. Now, related here is I just did an episode all on working smarter, not harder when it comes to household tasks. Check out episode 129 if you missed it. That was just three episodes ago. All right, so we are moving right along to advanced simple living strategy number three, which is, brace yourself, it sounds harsh, to make no Your default response. Now, let me explain. (laughs) For many of us, when an invitation to something arrives in the mail or comes into our inbox, our default response tends to be yes. And I know this is not true for everyone, of course, but it is certainly true for my fellow extroverts. The fear of missing out, FOMO, it is real. (laughs) So if you are like me and your default response tends to be yes, I suggest you switch your default answer to no. Now, it sounds harsh. I understand that. But remember our energy that we talked about earlier. When we say yes to all the things, we expend our energy unnecessarily. Now, what am I not saying here? I am not saying to be rude. I am not saying to become a recluse who never sees other people. What I am saying is to get intentional with your schedule. When your default answer is no, you empower yourself to then say yes to only those obligations and invitations and opportunities that you deem worth your energy and time. Now, if the thought of making no your default sounds way too harsh and not at all realistic for you, I then suggest instead to just look at your weekly schedule and take one thing off of it every single week. And in that space, in that new white space that you just cleared after taking something off your plate, schedule in a slow activity that you love. Some examples of slow activities that you love may be getting on the floor and playing with your kid, or it could be reading a book. For me, it's always reading a book. (laughs) It could be just sitting quietly with a cup of coffee and staring out your window for 20 minutes. And by the way, research does say that doing absolutely nothing for 20 minutes a day sparks creativity. But whatever that slow activity is for you that really rejuvenates you and lights you up schedule it in. You may have to actually write it down as a means of ensuring that it actually gets done. I know this is true for me, and I know I have said it before on this podcast. Unless I have it written down and unless I can actually cross it off once it's done, it doesn't get done because all the other daily tasks get prioritized first over my own self-care over my own slow living goals, right? That's just life, that's just what happens. So if you're a scheduler, if you are a list maker, go ahead and write it down because if you write it down, then you can cross it off. So a quick recap here on tip number three, either make no your default response or replace one to-do scheduling item each week with a slow habit. We are moving right along, we are flying through today to slow living advanced strategy number four, and that is to make eating a family affair. When I was 18, I was fortunate enough to travel to Paris with my father, and on this trip, we ate some epic four-hour dinners. It was on this trip that I realized Americans do dinner wrong. In other countries, eating together is a cherished social activity that takes hours, not minutes. And these dinners are beautiful too, right? Like how often do we get to sit around in close proximity to our loved ones, look them in the eyes, and connect with them without a screen as an intermediary? I didn't know it as a child, but when I think back to my own childhood, Some of my happiest memories occurred around my grandmother's dinner table. There was never an end to these Sunday family dinners. No one was checking their watch under the tables. No one was checking their cell phones under the tables because there were none. They weren't invented yet. We all just sat and we just talked and we laughed. Consider adopting the slow food mindset in your home as an alternative to the 21st century American hustle and bustle, where we grab something on the go, we're in, we're out. How do you actually in real life adopt a slow food mindset? Well, it starts by slowing down all the tasks related to creating a family meal. You make the family meal the main event of the day, And then you slow down everything that goes into it. You're including the entire family in your preparations too. So you're not doing all the work yourself. Ask for your child's input. Cook with your child. Have somebody set the table. Cooking with your child, by the way, teaches them the importance of food and it encourages better dietary habits, according to research. So just a little side note there. Make the preparation an event. But the main event is the gathering around the Dimmler table. Now, I've said before on this podcast that family dinners, especially if you're inviting over some extended family, they do not have to be a Thanksgiving dinner fanciness level. The house can be messy. The dinner can be not as tasty as you would like. The young children can be crying in the other room. I need to, and I've, I've been working on, lowering my standards. When I have people over for Sunday dinner, it is not going to be a four-course event. My house is going to be less than tidy. And that's okay because the purpose of slow living and the purpose of slow family dinners is to be with my loved ones. It's not to impress. It's not to be perfect. It is to enjoy simplicity with the people I love most. So you're gathering around the table. It's the highlight of your day or highlight of your weekend. My final tip for you here is don't rush to get up, right? Linger long after that last bite is eaten. And the kids, they're going to get up and run away and go play. That's fine. That happens. (laughs) That's totally fine. But with the people who want to sit and stay, sit and stay with them. My final tip for you today is inspired by a poem by W. H. Davies, and it is to stand and stare. So the line in the poem says, we have no time to stand and stare. I took my daughters to the beach last week, and it was a super hot day. I was certain they would spend the entire day in the water, or at the very least, making a sandcastle next to the water. I was so unbelievably surprised then when they spent hours, literally hours, beside the rocks watching the barnacles and collecting snails and hermit crabs. What I love about the strategy of standing and staring is that it is so ridiculously simple. (laughs) Whereas children have mastered the art of stopping and staring, teenagers and adults tend to lose it. Let's get it back, right? Let's get that back. Stopping and staring means reveling in all the things that bring us joy that we tend to miss thanks to the daily grind. So when I got home from the beach, I tried hard to take a cue from my daughters. I have this azalea bush in my yard. And what I absolutely love about it is that its flowers are bright and vibrant red. And it's a real different red. It contrasts with all the other greens and pinks that are in my yard right now. But the problem with this azalea bush is the problem with most perennials, which is it flowers for just one week and then all the flowers fall off (laughs) until the following year. My general practice is to acknowledge the beauty of this azalea as I'm weeding or as I walk by it. But I made it my point recently to stop and stare and really like take in its beauty. I know that sounds kind of corny, but actually stop, actually stare. Don't just acknowledge it as I walk by it to accomplish some other outdoor task. Now, what is beautiful for you? What warrants you to stop, stand, and stare. Maybe it's your child's laughter. Maybe you're fully present for that. Maybe it's the, this is another example from my life, but maybe it's the bunny that comes out at dusk and eats all the clover in your weedy lawn. (laughs) Whatever it is, embrace that childlike mindset again where everything is wondrous. And then when you find something that is wondrous to you, give it your full attention doing so starts by putting that phone down it starts by removing that excess noise in life too as a tool to enable you to actually stop and actually stare so those are my five tips for you today let's just recap really quick number one is don't attend every fight you are invited to number two is to work smarter not harder Tip number three is to make no your default response. Advanced strategy number four is to make eating a family affair. And finally, advanced strategy number five is to stop, stand, and stare. Now, everything we talked about today can be found in this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 132. That's M-A-M-A-Minimalist.com forward slash 132. Now, I have a quick eco-tip this week. It comes from Root. Root, I hope I'm saying your name right. If I'm not, I really apologize for butchering it. Root from Mumbai wrote to me, and she said, a great way to declutter books is to give them away. Now, it sounds simple, but there's a little twist on it. She said that a friend's professor, which is a complete stranger to her, she's never met this professor, sent her one of his favorite books, And she was just overjoyed by the prospect of reading a book that she may not have necessarily ever picked up and getting to know this professor through his book choice that he sent to her. Now, if you have some old books lying around, why not swap them with a friend or somebody in your community? The key here, though, is not to ask your friend which book he or she wants from your collection. And it is not to choose a book from your collection that you think your friend will like. Give one that your friend may never pick up in the first place. I love it. Thank you so much, Root. I wish you a wonderful week with your families, and may you slow down. Take care. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas?